I'd like to welcome everyone uh, to our summer series. The very first thing I'd like to ask everyone to do is please take stand up. Everybody stand up. Now everybody do me a great favor and start walking forward. Let's fill up the front of the auditorium. It will help our singing. It will help our speaker. It will allow people who are live streaming to see that there are people among us here this evening. Lots of good reasons to congregate closer. You're doing a good job. All right, you can be seated. Thank you very, very much. If you are live streaming with us this evening, we're, we're grateful to have you. And we would like to invite you to our services here at West Irwin. We have Bible class each Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, followed by our worship hour at 10. Uh, Sunday evening services at uh, 5. Uh, and then Wednesday evenings at 6.30 and this summer especially, we're having a, a special series on risk takers, putting your faith on the line. Tonight marks our second week of having a speaker, and we have a very special young man with us here this evening to speak to us. He grew up right here at West Irwin. He was a member of uh, Danny Snell's youth group. I might add it was during the time that our youngest son, Barrett, and his wife, Jessica, at the time, Dupree Carter, were also in that youth group, and Jordan Snell and a host of others. Had a good-sized youth group then, and um, Danny did a, a great job with those kids. Spencer is a graduate of White House High School. He was also a standout uh, basketball player on their team, and I had the opportunity of watching him play two or three times, and I especially remember him watching, uh, watching him play at a TJC tournament one year, and I think he was, he may have been named a co-MVP of that tournament, if I remember right. I know I was impressed, that I do know, and I will say this, he's a lot meaner on the court than he is in the pulpit. He's quite a basketball player. Not only did he play for White House, but he also played some for uh, Oklahoma Christian, YAOC, my alma mater. So he was an eagle. Spencer is a special young man. He's highly intelligent. He loves God. He loves God's Word. He loves Christ's church. And he knows the scripture, he knows the word of God well. And I know that I'm looking very forward to hearing him speak to us tonight from that fascinating story that we find in the Old Testament from the book of Ruth, one of my favorite stories in scripture. So I'm very anxious and excited to hear what he has to share with us. Before uh, that, we do have Michael Hurley, our brother Michael Hurley, who will be leading us in a couple of songs uh, before Spencer speaks. And just one short commercial for next week. Everybody plan to be back next week. Again, we will have one of our own uh, coming to, to speak for us. That's Eric Thornton. Eric is also very special to us here at West Irwin. He served as our youth minister for a good while, did a fantastic job for us. And while he was here, he decided he really had the heart for the pulpit, for preaching. And he spent a number of years as the pulpit minister at Eastside Church of Christ in Athens. And so we've been tremendously blessed here at West Irwin with young men who have been raised to, to love God's Word and are excited to share it with others. Let's have a word of prayer and then, Michael, I'll turn it over to you. Father, we thank you so much for this evening and another opportunity of gathering together as your people to open your holy word, Father, to, to look into it, to learn from it, 
We're so grateful for Spencer, Father, and the time that he has spent preparing this lesson for us. We know, Father, he will have a, a lot of things for us to give insight to, things that will challenge our faith, things, Father, that will help us to grow in our relationship with one another, but more importantly, in our relationship with you. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. And we are tremendously thankful for the precious gift of your son and the blood that he shed for our sins on the cross. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Sing the first and last verse together of Redeemed. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child and Good evening. I'm glad uh, to be here with you tonight, excited uh, to get to speak to you, thankful for the invitation and the opportunity uh, to be here, and thank you, Davey, for that great introduction. I'm not sure if I can live up now to the introduction that he gave. I will say that I do hope that uh, I am not as mean here in the pulpit as I was on the basketball court. You guys will get to be the judge of that afterwards. You can let me know whether or not I lived up uh, to that part. But I'm glad uh, to be here. I think the last time that I gave a lesson here in this auditorium was probably delivering an LTC speech in like fifth or sixth grade. I'm sure there's a recording somewhere that we can go back and check the tape, but I believe it was probably fifth, sixth grade. So it's kind of neat. It's cool uh, to get to be here and to speak to you this evening. Not too long ago, uh, there was a movie that came out based on the best-selling book, Redeeming Love. 
And the book and the movie, Redeeming Love, are loosely based on the biblical book of Hosea. And the book, the movie, as well as the book of Hosea, are primarily trying to illustrate for us the redeeming love of a man for a woman who is a prostitute. And she continually runs away from this man that loves her deeply and back into a life of prostitution. And the man shows his love for her by continually going to redeem her from the life of prostitution time after time after time. And this idea of redemption to redeem someone or to redeem something is to get something or to get something back or to set someone free from something. And it's usually the result of a concerted effort or a payment. And generally the idea of redemption is to get someone or to set someone free from a negative or from a bad situation or a bad set of circumstances. And Redeeming Love and the book of Hosea, I believe, truly illustrate for us what true redemption and true love look like. The willingness to redeem someone, even when the person who is the object of that redemption time after time wants to forsake the person who loves them. And specifically regarding our biblical book of Hosea, Hosea seeks to illustrate for us the redeeming love of God. Hosea illustrates for us how much God loves his people, that God loves his people so much that he is willing time after time after time to redeem them from their choice to forsake him and to go and worship foreign gods, no matter how many times they choose to do so. And that idea, that image of redemption, I truly believe is the central theme throughout all of Scripture. The story of the Bible, the story of God from Genesis to Revelation is really and truly a story of redemption. But specifically regarding our discussion this evening, redemption is also the central theme of the story of Ruth. Now, most of you have probably heard Ruth's story before. Ruth's story begins when Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Mahalon and Chilion, leave their hometown of Bethlehem due to a famine, and they travel to live in the land of Moab. And while they are in Moab, the two sons take Moabite wives, Orpah And Ruth. After some time passes, Elimelech, Mahalan, Jillian all die, leaving Naomi alone with her two daughters in law. Eventually, Naomi hears that the famine back in their hometown of Bethlehem has subsided, and so she decides that she's going to return to Bethlehem. And because of this decision, Naomi encourages her daughters in law to go back to their parents' house with the hopes that they'll be able to marry again. And Orpah heeds Naomi's suggestion, and she goes back to live with her parents. But Ruth makes a different decision. Ruth decides that she is going to stay with Naomi and return with her back to Bethlehem. Once back in Bethlehem, Ruth is out in the fields gathering grain so that her and Naomi have something to eat, and she runs into a man by the name of Boaz. And it just happens that Boaz is a distant relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. So Boaz is related to Naomi. She's distantly and in some ways also related to Ruth. And so after this interaction, the story of Ruth concludes with Boaz making the decision to redeem Naomi and Ruth by purchasing Elimelech's land that was left behind and that Naomi has decided to sell, as well as by marrying Ruth. 
And upon marrying Ruth, Ruth and Boaz have a son named Obed. And it's through Obed that we get King David. And it's through King David that we ultimately get Jesus. And so Ruth's story centers around and climaxes with the redemption of Naomi, Ruth, and then ultimately all of humanity through Jesus. But the most interesting thing about Ruth's story, at least in my mind, the most interesting thing about the story is that God is not an active character in the story, leading the story to this redemption that ultimately takes place. God doesn't actually do anything, or at least he's, it's not expressly said that God does anything in the story. But rather, it's actually the faithfulness of the characters involved that lead this story to its ultimate conclusion redemption. And so first, this evening, I want us to consider the redemption of Naomi. Naomi's redemption comes in the form of the continuation of her family name and inheritance, which cannot be underestimated how important that would have been. Because in Israelite culture, the family name was of the utmost importance. Because the continuation of a family name was considered a blessing by God. If the family was able to have male children and to continue the family line, it was viewed that God is blessing that family. And so for a family to die out, on the one hand, would mean God's curse. People would assume, well, the family's done something wrong. They have done something to anger God, and because of that, God is not allowing their family line to continue. But also, for a family line to cease would also mean that that family was looked down upon in their their society because people would believe that the family, in essence, no longer exists. And so for someone like Naomi, she's lost her husband, she's lost her male children, there's no more family line. Her family no longer exists. Her family has been cursed by God. This is an indictment not only on Naomi, but everyone in their family tree. An inheritance has a very similar function in Israelite society because inheritance was passed on to male children and it was a way of continuing the family line. The way the family continued to survive, continued to have status within Israelite society was through the inheritance that was passed on to the male children. However, this significance of the family in Israelite culture is very male-centric. It's passing on the family name through males. It's passing on the inheritance to men. And so I think it's also important as we consider Naomi to think about the significance of family to a woman such as her. So as you may know, Israelite society was male-dominated. It was a patriarchal culture, which meant that women had very little rights, abilities of their own. Women relied on their husbands and their male children for survival. And so for a woman like Naomi, who has no husband, who has no male children, she really has two options to survive. She can either rely on the help of other people, or she can enter into a life of prostitution. Those are the only options in Israelite society that are left to a woman like Naomi. But it's so important that we remember that we're told that this story of Ruth takes place during the time of the Judges, which is described in this way in Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, the final verse of the book of Judges. If you were reading through the Bible from Genesis, kind of working your way through on a yearly Bible plan or something like this, This is the last thing you would read before you read Ruth's story. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. 
That's a very negative, very dark view of the period of the judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone was following no law, really doing nothing good. They were doing whatever was right to them, whatever pleased and gratified them. And so the period of the judges was a very dark time. And so the likelihood of a woman like Naomi in a period as dark as the period of the judges to be able to rely on other people to help her is very, very slim. It's not very likely anyone is going to want to help Naomi because everyone during this time is just looking out for themselves. And so that leaves Naomi with two options. Die of poverty, of starvation, or enter into a life of prostitution and find some way to continue living. And so when Boaz redeems Naomi, when he purchases her land and marries Ruth, he provides Naomi first with a continuation of her family. Because the first child, Obed, that Boaz and Ruth will have will be of the family line of Elimelech and Naomi. So it continues their family. It gives them status. It brings blessing on them from God. But not only that, it allows a man to enter into the family. A man which it appears in the story Boaz is fairly wealthy. So a man of means. A man who can provide for Naomi and Ruth and keep them alive and out of having to go to prostitution in order to survive. But while... Boaz is the one who directly brings this redemption to Naomi. I believe the true reason that Naomi finds redemption in this story is because of the faithfulness of Ruth to Naomi. Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi begins when she decides not to return to her family but rather to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. Ruth says this at the beginning of the story in chapter 1 and verse 16. She says, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well if even death parts me from you. You see, it would have been much easier and probably much smarter for Ruth to have left Naomi and gone back to live with her parents. Because if Ruth had gone back home, she would have the assurance of things like protection. She would have the assurance of food and water. She would have a great likelihood of finding another husband one day to provide for her and to give her children. But that's not what Ruth does. She chooses to go with Naomi and give up all of these assurances. And as we've talked about, she accepts a very uncertain, probably difficult, and maybe even deadly future by deciding to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And to do so is for Ruth to show Naomi the Hebrew concept of hesed. Now, hesed means something like loving kindness or covenant loyal love, which is a theme throughout Ruth's story. Hesed has been described in the following ways by those that are much smarter about Hebrew and Israelite culture than I am. They describe Hesed in these ways. They say it is an act that preserves and promotes life. It is intervention on behalf of someone's suffering, misfortune, or distress. It is the motivating force of the Sinai covenant. It combines the warmth of God's fellowship with the security of God's faithfulness. It is an essential part of the nature of God and is frequently used to describe God's acts of unmerited grace and mercy. To do or to show has said means to demonstrate loving kindness and loyalty that extends far beyond what the law requires, beyond anything the recipient expects or deserves to receive. 
It's that kind of love, it's that kind of commitment and loyalty that Ruth shows to Naomi by giving up all assurances of comfort, life, and security to follow her back to Bethlehem. But then once back in Bethlehem, the faithfulness of Ruth to Naomi continues. Ruth goes out into the fields to gather grain so that her and Naomi have something to eat. In chapter 2, it says that Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. Naomi allows Ruth to go out and to gather grain so that they have something to eat, which is a great thing for Ruth to do, provide them food. But there's even more significance to this act by Ruth. Because for Ruth to go out into the fields alone would have been a very dangerous and unsmart thing to do. Because it opens her up for attack, for abuse, for rape, for all kinds of things that could come upon Ruth as a woman by herself out in the fields. But yet, Ruth gives up comfort and security to gather food for her and Naomi. The final act of Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi, though, is her willingness to approach Boaz and encourage Boaz to purchase that land and to marry Ruth, which, as we've talked about, brings about the redemption to Naomi's story. Yes, Boaz's actions is what brings about the reversal of Naomi's situation. But as you read the story, Boaz seems to only do it because Ruth encourages him to do it. It doesn't seem like Boaz would have done it otherwise. Ruth has to go and encourage him, hey, Boaz, do this thing. Buy the land, marry me. We see that in the opening of Ruth chapter 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, says to Ruth, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, all that you tell me, I will do. We see, time after time after time, how Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi carries this story along to ultimately redeem Naomi, to continue her family name, to provide her status, money, survival, protection within the Israelite society. But Naomi is not the only one who receives redemption in this story. Ruth is also redeemed. Because Ruth finds herself in that exact same predicament that Naomi does without a husband. No family, no name, no status, no protector. All of those things that Naomi didn't have, Ruth doesn't have. But Ruth's predicament is escalated by the fact that she's a foreigner specifically because she is a Moabite. Israelites don't tend to like foreigners. They don't want to associate with them. They don't want to have anything to do with them. And it's particularly true regarding Moabites. And and there are several reasons for that. First, the Moabite people are descendants of Lot's drunken, incestuous relationship with one of his daughters. And so in the mind of Israel, they are the epitome. They are the image. They are the living embodiment of sin. They are a terrible, horrible people. And so Israel doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And so that makes Moabite a constant military and political enemy of Israel. While Israel was out wandering in the wilderness, it was the king of Moab that hired Balaam to curse Israel. If you remember the whole story of Balaam and his talking donkey... That happened because of the king of Moab. In the book of Numbers, Moabite women are blamed for leading Israel into sin. So Ruth, a Moabite woman, well, she's just going to lead us into sin. She's going to lead us into all kinds of negative things. 
In the book of Deuteronomy, the Moabites are excluded from the assembly of the Lord. They're not allowed to worship God in Israelite society. And so almost exclusively, there are a few exceptions in the Old Testament, but almost exclusively, the Old Testament paints a very negative picture of Moabites. And so Ruth, as a Moabite woman, is not someone that any Israelite would want to associate. Nevertheless, someone an Israelite would want to marry. But nevertheless, that's what Boaz does. And so it's Boaz faithfulness to Ruth that brings redemption to Ruth's story. The first place we see Boaz's faithfulness to Ruth is by helping her out when she's out in the field, by letting her get grain from his field so her and Naomi have something to eat, but also providing her protection. We talked about the dangers of a woman being out in the fields by herself. Boaz recognizes this and offers Ruth protection. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. Boaz lets her work in his field, Tells her, follow behind my young women. My men are going to be here to protect you. You can get water from them. Boaz is faithful to Ruth. But the ultimate faithfulness of Boaz to Ruth is obviously how the story ends. When he decides that he's going to purchase the land and marry Ruth and provide the status and the finances and the protection and those other things that we have discussed. Chapter 3 of Ruth, Boaz says, may you be blessed, uh, by the way, this is after Ruth encourages him to do this. We've talked about that. Ruth goes and encourages him to buy the land and to marry her, and he says to her, his response, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. For all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night, and in the morning, if he will act as next of kin for you, good. Let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. Naomi is redeemed. Her life is turned around because of Ruth's faithfulness to her. Ruth is redeemed. Her life situation is is reversed because of Boaz's faithfulness to Ruth. But Naomi and Ruth are not the only two in this story that receive redemption. As I mentioned as we opened up, it's interesting that God is not an active participant in this story, but yet God's presence pervades the story. The redemption that takes place is all set in motion because of Ruth's faithfulness to God. In chapter 1, we read this a few moments ago, Ruth says, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. 
It's interesting to note that that phrase, your people shall be my people and your God my God, in the Hebrew text does not have any verbs in it. And so it very well may be that Ruth is actually saying something more profound than that. That she's saying something more like, your people are my people. And your God is my God. Ruth's faithfulness, not only to Naomi, but also to God, calls her to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi, despite the uncertainty of her future, despite the uncertainty of her survival, and that's what sets in motion the rest of this story. This story's redemption begins with Ruth's faithfulness to God, but it continues, it carries on through the faithfulness of the characters to one another. Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi and Boaz's faithfulness to Ruth. And the result is God's faithfulness in bringing about the redemption of the world through Ruth. Listen to how the story ends. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you as a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. And it's through David that we get Jesus, the Redeemer of all people. It's through Ruth's faithfulness to God and Naomi and Boaz's faithfulness to Ruth that God is faithful to us through bringing about Jesus who provides us with ultimate redemption. It's in Jesus that God has shown us said, that God has shown us his loving kindness, his covenant, loyal love. It's in Jesus that God has shown us his faithfulness to redeem us because it's in Jesus that God has redeemed us from sin and given us that hope of eternal life in heaven. And this redemption that God provides for us in Jesus, much like that conclusion to Ruth's story that looks forward to David, this redemption that God gives us in Jesus is a redemption that looks forward. It's a redemption that looks forward to the hope that we have in heaven, the hope that we have to live eternally with God where all the wrongs, all the evil, all the brokenness that currently characterizes our lives and characterizes our world is done away with. However, God not only provides us redemption in the future, but God also provides us with redemption now through his providential work in the background of our lives. In the same way that God is active in the background of Ruth's story. He's not an active participant, but he's there. He's working in the background. You, you can't tell me that just by accident, Ruth happens upon the field that Boaz owns, who's a family relative, who's probably the only Israelite in all the nation who's willing to do what he does. That's not just happenstance. That's the providential work of God, And in the same way that God is active in the background of Ruth's story, God is active in the background of our stories. God is active in our lives to redeem us now from the struggles that we face daily with sin and temptation. 
God is active in our lives to provide us the physical basic needs that we need for life. God, I believe, was active in the background of Ruth's life and that's how they managed to stay alive for multiple reasons, whether it be to provide them food, to keep them away from people that would have harmed them or taken advantage of them. God is active in all of that in Ruth's story and God is active in that way in the lives of you and I. But God is also active within our wider world to redeem us from the problems of evil and of pain and of brokenness and of sin that pervade our world. We can't look out into the world. We can't turn on the TV. We can't get on social media. We can't do any of these things without seeing how broken of a world we live in. We can't do it without seeing shootings and death and abuse. And we could keep going on and on and on down the line. God is at work some way. I don't know how that's above my pay grade, but I know that he is. I know that he's out there doing something. He's working in the backgrounds of our lives, of our stories in some way. But the thing that we have to remember when we recognize that God is at work in the here and now to provide us with redemption, not just ultimate redemption, but also redemption in our lives now, is to remember that God always has and always will work through our broken earthen vessels for his glory. God works through us to bring about this kind of redemption. Just like in Ruth's story, God's redemption carries forward through the faithfulness of his people. God had a plan for Ruth and Naomi. God eventually would have got David and eventually would have got Jesus. His plan of redemption would have worked. But we see it being carried forward through the faithfulness of his people. Through the faithfulness of Ruth, the faithfulness of Naomi, the faithfulness of Boaz, God's redemption carries forward through the faithfulness of his people. It carries forward through our faithfulness. And this begins with our faithfulness to God. God's redemption in the world right here and now begins with our faithfulness to live as the people of God. But not only our faithfulness to live as God's people, but also our faithfulness to speak as God's people. Our faithfulness to speak the truths of God's word. Our faithfulness to speak out against the evil that pervades our world. Our faithfulness to speak and to support that which is good, that which is acceptable and pleasing to God. But God's redemption right here and now not only comes through our faithfulness to God, like we see with Ruth's faithfulness to God, That redemption continues, it carries forward through our faithfulness to people. Like we see with Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi and Boaz's faithfulness to Ruth. Because faithfulness to God is faithfulness to people. Particularly people who are outsiders like Ruth. As we've talked about, Boaz has absolutely no logical reason to be faithful to a Moabite woman like Ruth, yet he does. And it's through that faithfulness that God brings about Jesus. And then in Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus' own faithfulness to outsiders and outcasts like Ruth. Jesus was known for being one who fellowshiped and ate with tax collectors and sinners. And so God is able to bring about the redemptions to the problems of evil, the problems of brokenness, the problems of sin that pervade our world today through our faithfulness to people in the name of God. Our faithfulness to love people despite who they are, what they've done, or what they believe. Our faithfulness to provide for people's needs regardless of what they've done or the mistakes that they've made that might have got them into, in the, into the predicament that they are currently in, that have brought about the need that they have in the moment. Our faithfulness to people to stand up 
for people, particularly people like Ruth, who are unable to stand up for themselves regardless of how that might reflect upon us in the realm of public opinion. God is able to bring about redemption right here and now through our faithfulness to stand with outsiders like Ruth who are pushed aside by the ebb and flow of a normal life in a broken world. It is our willingness, in other words, to be risk takers. It's our willingness to live out a risky faith, to put our faith on the line, our faith to God and our faith to people. It is our willingness to do this that can and will be used as tools in God's providential work of redemption in our current world here and now. You want to make a difference in the world, live out a faith to God which manifests itself in faithfulness to people. Let's close this evening with a prayer. Lord, we come to you tonight and we're just so thankful for what you've done to redeem us, what you've done through your Son, the way you're active in the world, you're active in our lives, you're active here in this church. We cannot begin to express our thankfulness for the way you constantly redeem us. And Lord, our prayer tonight is that we won't hog that love. We won't hog that redemption. We won't keep it to ourselves, but we will let the way that you redeem and the way that you love us flow through us and into the lives of other people. That we will live lives of faithfulness to you and faithfulness to people and make an impact. It might be small to some, it might seem insignificant, but we know that it's not. We know that every person that we show the love of Christ to is significant. It does make a difference. And we know that you have a plan that you're up to things much bigger than we are. And we are thankful for the way you include us in those plans, the way we benefit from it. And even though we're not worthy, the way you use us, you use our broken earthen vessels to bring glory to you. Again, we're thankful for your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.